1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you here from New York City on the 18th day of July 2017. I do want to remind you that I am the editor, uh, the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And I would encourage you to consider subscribing to my friend Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can do that by going to chenpix.com. chenpix.com. And I want to thank you for listening to this show, making one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable today. Our sponsors are New Range Gold, Klondike Gold, Aron Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp, GMV, Minerals Corp, Fireweed Resources, and Osprey. Gold development. I've titled today's show, Using Gold Money to Preserve Your Wealth. James Turk, the founder and lead director of Gold Money, returns this week, as does our most frequent guest, Michael Oliver. He's going to be with me in just moments from now. Cooper Quinn, he's the president and CEO of Osprey Gold Development. Visits for the first time to talk about that company's most undervalued gold exploration company. I think it's a very undervalued property in Nova Scotia. You know, America's founders understood that if Americans were to retain their freedom and liberty, an honest asset-backed monetary system must be preserved. Otherwise, money becomes a political instrument in the hands of the bankers and the state to be used to manipulate citizens and markets for the accumulation of power in the hands of a few at the expense of the many. And, of course, this is now happening at an accelerated pace in America. When Nixon detached gold from the dollar and thus the international monetary system in 1971, the world embarked on a massive indebtedness. Growing global insolvency has been the result, and once you understand how the system works, which is intentionally not taught in our schools, it is easy to see how wealth is being siphoned from the middle class to both Democrat and Republican elites that have taken our country away from we the people. But now, with the Internet, gold is, in fact, reemerging as money. James Turk will explain how you can preserve your wealth with gold and, at the same time, spend that gold as necessary. And uh, we will learn about Osprey Gold, as I just told you in a few minutes. I'm going to be talking to, uh, to Cooper Quinn then. A very exciting project in Nova Scotia, and it is a recommendation in my newsletter as well. Well, last week, Chris Hamilton's views on demographics, economics, and the markets raised a number of comments that indicated that many of you were not completely clear on Chris's theories. Uh, Indeed, I told Chris that I was having some trouble getting my head wrapped around his theory about how global population declines, not only, uh, well, that they would lead to Uh, economic decline. That wasn't so difficult to comprehend. Less demand, it makes a certain amount of sense. But what didn't make any sense to me was the idea that the uh, equity markets could rise in perpetuity uh, in this kind of a declining GDP setting. So Chris very kindly responded to my question, and he gave me permission to pass his response along to you today. Here is what Chris said, and I quote, Regarding your question, all I can say is me too in terms of getting my head wrapped around my own theory. I have made the case that the quantity and quality of organic growth likely peaked in the late 1980s, and since that time, a progression of substitutes and one-time actions have been undertaken. These actions have resulted in an unnaturally high growth rate via the idea that growth could be borrowed from the future, and somehow this would not negatively impact future growth rates. The huge problem is that the present and future are nothing like the past 70 years when they re- when, the re- when these really bad assumptions seem plausible. Well, they seem plausible, I might add, to, to some people, not to Austrian economists for sure. But uh, central bankers, Chris goes on, he says, central bankers and federal governments have used a wide variety of knobs and dials, which have significant impacts on financial markets, but far less on on economies and perhaps zero or negative impact on population growth, which he says is the most important factor in economic growth. Well, that is a debatable point, no doubt, but he certainly shows uh, some correlation with population declines. Uh, and rate of population growth declines and economic well-being. There could be other factors, but this is Chris's thesis. I go on with Chris. Continues, he says, So, bad assumptions and entirely mistaken theories projecting that thousands of years' worth of trends would continue into the future have proven entirely disastrous. A check of the under-65-year-old populations of the OECD China, Russia, Brazil, and nearly all nations outside of Central Africa show a massive depopulation is underway from the bottom up, but is presently masked by the impact of the elderly living decades longer, leading to a one-time-off appearance of population growth. Simply put, the past and present was predicated on a future that will never come to pass. They extrapolated and banked on past growth trends to continue and even accelerate into the future. How wrong they were. My opinion that the markets will continue to rise is is based on necessity. The market must rise or the financial, economic, and perhaps even the social systems are in peril. So I am attempting to solve an equation where the free market constants are negative and the variable is human nature. The odds are that as things get worse economically due to population demographics, debt, resources, uh, dilution, depletion, etc., new and stranger dials and knobs will be needed to to uh, and turned even more violently. I have shown this, the largest of the markets are no longer functioning in a manner to freely determine prices between buyers and sellers, and thus these markets are now likely every bit as farcical as North Korean propaganda, but generally accepted by the public due to the lack of credible alternatives. He goes on, and I just want to wrap it up here, but he said, I believe that we crossed the fail-safe point some time ago, and thus there is no turning back or allowing a natural correction. The most likely model is the Japanese bond market in which volume is nearing zero and goes entirely days absent a trade. A steady grind higher for equities, prices, and lower bond yields, both on a continually declining volume, is already clearly visible. The idea seems burn what fuel is left in the hope that critical mass of technology or innovation or some combination of all these and more might allow some sort of quantum leap from our present state of something else. Of course, this is not a plan, but simply a silly notion. Unfortunately, anyone promoting a concrete plan will be rounded, will be roundly shouted down. Uh, so, silly notions and rising markets are what I expect. And yes, when it falls, and I can't imagine how this travesty won't, my best guess is precious metals will have real value on the other side. But unfortunately, even here, there are no guarantees, just probabilities. End of quote. Well that is the end uh, as I say of Chris's remarks but I might add a caveat to which uh, to what Chris said there are no guarantees within the four dimensions of time and space but there are possibly in some other dimensions but that's a topic for another day we do want to keep our feet firmly planted on the ground and in these four dimensions and so to help us do that Michael Oliver is with me once again thanks for joining me today Michael Hi
4: Jay good to be back
3: Good to be back. Well, you heard a very sort of dismal viewpoint there from our guest last week. Uh, With respect to gold, there's been a lot of people wringing their hands over gold. A lot of the bulls are really sort of uh, have been beside themselves. But you've, you know, all along you said, well, maybe if it went to 1997, uh, the gold price, I'm sorry, to (laughs) 1197, you might have to turn neutral. You might have to turn neutral. But it didn't go there. It seems to be heading the other way. What, is, what are your latest thoughts on gold? Are we out of the woods now, Michael?
4: I think you're probably out of the woods. Uh, <clears throat> there's a, a number this week I wanted to get above, and I'd like to close the week out above. It's 12.29. We did that yesterday, and now we're at mm-hmm. 12.43. Um, there's a number of overhead on the GDX, the gold miner ETF, and on gold that is literally one good day away. Uh, and if I can close a week out, you can close gold out at a uh, week out at, oh, in the low 1260s, call it 1262, okay? Um, if you do that, uh, I've got some quarterly momentum oscillators, which is a long-term oscillator. Mm-hmm. that will post its highest weekly close in the last several quarters. Uh, it's in part because the three-quarter average has been declining, price is moving up. toward it. Anyway, that's a very positive-looking momentum structural number for me. So literally... Mm-hmm. Today's high is $12.44, so I'm, I'm saying less than $20 above today's high is a very good-looking weekly close to occur any time this quarter. It's mm. to occur this week, you know, anytime Oh, have. okay. GDX is now 22 uh, 20 I think, uh, somewhere about twenty two sixty. dollars I would get very excited about GDX launching, coming out of this coiling action it's had for quite some time, just like gold has had big coiling action for quite mm-hmm. some time. You made your bear market low. You had your huge move off of that low in both those markets. And then you came down hard, did not make a new low, went back up hard, came back down. And it was your coiling. And this is a market that's twisting and turning, ready for its next leg. And I think that next leg is not far away. Mm -hmm. The main thing we had been focused on this year, coming into the year, was the dollar index, which had been sedate for two years at high levels, very sedate, almost asleep. Uh, in a very narrow range and uh, we came into the year trading 101 we said if you broke 99 it's a bear market um, there have been quite a few cries by technicians in the last several months since it broke 99 for a big rally and mm-hmm. you know, this doesn't seem to happen right now we're trading in the 94s I suspect the dollar index is going to 88 as a first major landing point and from that point you might actually get a counter trend rally of some nature But that's still a long way below here, and I think gold will be a lot higher than it is now when the dollar gets to 88, um, Mm -hmm. the dollar index. Uh, By the way, the attack on the dollar now is almost across the board. Uh, It had been very selective last year, Uh, but now it's the euro, the yen is even firming through some numbers that I think are important. The British pound is firming, Canadian dollar is rock solid. Uh, We anticipated that several months ago, so it's an across-the-board assault on the dollar. And I think that will have ramifications on the debt markets as well, and ultimately then on the, uh, well, shall we call it the less intelligent markets, the equity markets, which tend, which tend to sort of, you know, have to get hit in the head with a bat before they uh, realize reality. Uh, I suspect on the stock side, which is no doubt frustrating to many people who are fundamentally negative on on the stock market. Uh, its ability to hang in here, it's really not exploding. If you look at a chart, we're you know, all of a half percent higher than we were two months ago, three months ago, whatever. And literally less than 2% below where you are right now, the S&P cannot go. If it goes there, as far as we're concerned, it's over. Uh, you've seen your high. You're headed down probably in an irregular manner, not in an easy manner. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be an easy short, I don't think, this year in the stock market.
5: mm mm-hmm.
4: uh, you know, not, this is not 87, not 29. This is, uh, it's more, if you recall, 2008, the bear market there, uh, when it came out to shoot early in January, February of 2008 on the downside. Dropped mm-hmm. a couple hundred points. And then spent all the way from the March low through the May high, coming all the way back up to unchanged on the year, effectively. Mm. Yeah. So totally fooling people. It wasn't until late in the year of 2008 after the major damage had already occurred, technically speaking, that they mm-hmm. finally unleashed on the downside. And I suspect mm-hmm. we're looking at something like that in the equity markets this year. It's, 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 you make a top, but you really don't get paid for it yet.
3: Yeah. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly a lot of vested interest in the halls of Congress. Most of those guys and girls yeah. Yeah. own shares yeah. of stock, and they're very close to Janet Yellen as soon as the stock market starts to throw, as David Stockman calls it, a hissy fit. Out comes some kinder, gentler words for the... Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, if, for the interest rates, and up we go again. But at some point in time, I guess Mother Nature will prevail, right, Michael? I think
4: it's exactly right. And, and on the Japanese market, for example, which has got to be the most frustrating bond market in the world, in that the, 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 I think the investing public has given up on the idea that it will ever go down, that rates will ever rise, because the central mm-hmm. bank there, the BOJ, is just in charge. And I doubt that. I think all yeah. they've done is create an exacerbated situation that when it does come undone, Likely to come undone more so than the other
3: markets. Right. Ultimately, uh, you and I have been around long enough, Michael, to know that Mother Nature does prevail ultimately. So uh, we'll have to leave it go at that. We're out of time. Great. Thank you so much again, Michael, thank for you, your for your updates on this. Very very reassuring. Certainly bullish for gold. I would gather going forward now. So thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be back with Cooper Quinn, the president and CEO of Osprey Gold Development. Very exciting story there, developing there in Nova Scotia. So don't go away, we'll be right back with Cooper Quinn.
0: Foreign Resources
5: is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per tonne. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and
0: Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million.
2: New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New ranges unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX Symbol NRG. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me for the first time Cooper Quinn. Cooper, uh, as I just noted, is the president and he's a president and director of Osprey Gold Development Limited, and um, he has worked for uh, as a geologist uh, in mining and exploration for a variety of exploration development companies with projects around the world. His experience ranges from project and public company management to acquisition and due diligence for private equity as well. So, um, welcome, Cooper. It's good to have you with me. Yeah, thanks, Jay. It's uh, it's always a pleasure here to talk to you. Thank you. And uh, maybe before we get started, I should mention that your stock trades in Toronto under the symbol OS. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have under the symbol US o, uh, OSSPF. Uh, and uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Cooper, but 26.3 million shares only outstanding. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a, a factor to take into consideration as as you listen to what Cooper has to say. Uh, 18 cents in U.S. money gives it a market cap of only around 5 million U.S. dollars. So this is really, a truly a micro-cap stock. And uh, your flagship property there is a, the Goldenville property in Nova Scotia. It was uh, Nova Scotia's largest historic gold producer. I think some 212,000 ounces produced in the past. And I know the old adage, of course, is that the best place to find Gold is next to an old mine, uh, but there's a lot of old mines around the world. What what caused you to be interested in Nova Scotia or in particular Goldenville?
0: Yeah, thanks. You know, there were there was a few factors that uh, that drew us to Goldenville and to Nova Scotia. And uh, you know, you kind of point out that there are a lot of old gold mines in the world, and that's true. But one of the things when we looked at to Nova Scotia from a very very high level was that there's these gold mines kind of all over this one portion of the world, and you know, what that tells us is that there's this significant gold and metals endowment in that region of the world. And so then, you know... One of the factors that drew us to Goldenville specifically was its uh, status as the largest historic producer in Nova Scotia, and you know it did it did about two hundred and twelve thousand ounces at almost twelve grams um, mm-hmm. wow. between
3: eighteen
0: sixty two and nineteen forty two, and so that that grade is you know not uncommon in this portion of the world. So that was kind of another plus for us, but. Beyond that, we saw a project you know that had a historic resource from 2005 on it that was uh, you know fairly modest at a couple hundred thousand ounces. But we thought we could quickly grow and expand this resource with uh, a bit of a rethink on the project by looking at it with using some different mining methods, um, incorporating some additional drilling work that had been done since that resource, and um, and we were able to put together our current resource uh, at the beginning of this year with just kind of some desktop work, and uh, then. We believe there's an opportunity to expand and grow this resource uh, with our current drill program. And so when we started looking at Nova Scotia, it pretty quickly became apparent that there was the potential in this region to put together a whole portfolio of projects um, around some of these historic mines. And with the access and infrastructure that's in the province, we can really look at it kind of almost as one consolidated project project. you know it 's not necessarily a pocket of discrete little things here and there. We can drive to every single one of these things and hmm. so it was a region that had this access, had this infrastructure, had this historic production, and uh, that really hadn 't seen I think the amount of modern exploration work uh, that comparable districts in other parts of Canada or exploration had seen and so we were kind of able to go in and put together this portfolio with a great cornerstone asset at Goldenville that had a resource that, you know, was the largest historic producer at a very high grade. And initially we had three, uh, three other projects, only three other projects and that we feel we can uh, grow our resources from there as well. And they're all within, you know, kind of driving distance uh, of Goldenville. So really kind of the, like you say, you know, the, there was when I was a young geologist, there was a, an older prospector type who took me aside at one point and kind of jokingly told me that the best indicator element in the world for gold is gold. And I think that really plays into what you're saying there, with uh, you know, the best place to find a new mine is next to an old one. So there, there was a lot that brought us there, but certainly the, the, the just the massive metals endowment and the access and infrastructure, it seemed like a place that a lot more people should be doing work. And what we're finding now is that there's more and more people doing work out there.
3: Yeah, well, one of the things that intrigues me, Cooper, is the uh, the the difference between your cut and non-cut grades. Uh, I think it's uh, the number. Maybe the official number now is 203,000 ounces using a .75 cutoff. But if you uh, you know if you don't cap the grades, you get a, like a five gram uh, a five gram grade. But if you cap it, it's a three uh, three gram grade. But both pretty respectable for near surface. Uh, numbers, but um, is there do you expect to be able to refine that a little more and then give a more accurate or i guess some metallurgical work and more drilling and testing and so forth because there's a big difference between three and five grams
0: yeah, there is, and you know I think one of the things we're doing we're kind of doing things I guess all across the board to uh, get a handle on that and to try and mitigate some of those effects you know we're drilling hQ core this year on our program mm-hmm. which is a much larger sample to uh, to try and see what you know just up that sample size and then we're doing you know at the lab we're doing larger samples and stuff like there to really try to get a handle on it and its potential impact for the project um we've very carefully kind of planned our uh drill holes with that in mind as well but i think one of the things i can say is that if you look at the historic production grades at goldenville i think we're we're very confident the gold is there and um as you say, even if you're, if you're looking at the cut grade of uh, 3 grams per ton, just over 3 grams per ton, I think, for that near-surface resource, it's still a very significant grade for a open-pit resource. Um, the other main kind of project in the region is uh, they're looking at production grades of about 1.4 grams per ton. So we've got significant grade there on our side, I think. And the metallurgy work that has been done at Goldenville shows that and most of the Nova Scotia and the Maguma terrain shows that most of this gold is actually gravity recoverable, which is also very, uh, very good down the road in keeping the process flow sheets fairly simple. So yeah. it, it does have an impact on it, but I think we're confident that the gold is there. And like I said, if you look at just the, you know, the past production on the project and um, then some of the other places and other projects in the region, we're, we're happy with where we're at. And uh, we'll be doing what we can to try to get a, our best handle on that.
3: Right. Well, it seems clear to me that you have an awful lot of exploration potential, um, near-surface exploration potential, around some of these old operations. Um, what can you tell us about your existing uh, program, your exploration program this year, and what are the goals of that program?
0: Our current exploration program, um, we just kicked off drilling in the past couple of weeks here. Um, so, it has a couple of components to it. First off, it is this ex- expansion and exploration drilling at Goldenville. So, we'll be looking to build on that current resource, understand that resource a little bit more through some infill and expansion drilling. And some of that will be near-surface drilling, um, focused on near-surface resources, especially off to the eastern portion of the property. Um So we'll be drilling off kind of the traditional vein-hosted mineralization there at Goldenville Mm -hmm. as well as then the other component to it there is taking a look at um, more disseminated type mineralization between the veins at Goldenville. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking closely at some of the geophysics uh, and stratigraphy uh, within the sediments on the project to look for areas of increased thickness in the argillites and slates that have been uh, host to some of the disseminated mineralization that Atlantic Gold is putting into production. And so looking at that vein-hosted mineralization, expanding that resource, and then as well as looking at these argillites and slates and the potential for disseminated mineralization between the veins could be a real game-changer for us there. And then later on in the drill program, we'll be uh, be drilling off uh, about 3.5 kilometers to the west of Goldenville at uh, Mitchell Lake, which is Mm -hmm. uh, where we've had some surface crews doing exploration, geochemistry, mapping, sampling work over there to generate some great drill targets over on that portion of the property.
3: Yeah, so if you can come up with some significant bulk tonnage, uh, I guess with this dissemination between veins, it could really change the economics uh, fairly dramatically. Is that what they have over at Atlantic Gold? And, and how big is that project?
0: It is. So they've got uh, a pretty significant disseminated resources over there. And I think, you know, they've kind of shown that there's they've shown two paradigm shifts for Nova Scotia here. One is the disseminated mineralization. Um, and that's been pretty key for them to put these bulk targets together, but as well, then the realization that because of the access and infrastructure that's in place in Nova Scotia, that they can put together several smaller deposits and put it into one consolidated project. Um, Mm. they've currently got, I believe about 850,000 ounces of reserves in their mine plan. But, um, I believe they'll have some new studies out next month that uh, should be very good for them and uh, have some interesting implications for us with the incorporation of their Cochrane Hill project into their mine plan, which is about 10 kilometers up the road from uh, from Goldenville. And, you know, kind of on the disseminated note, we just an interesting aside, is that Mitchell Lake, I was reading an article from the newspaper in Nova Scotia from, I believe, 1913, and uh, there's a reference to the disseminated mineralization in the Slates and argillites there that said it was going to be, you know, the future of gold mining in Nova Scotia was this disseminated mineralization. So they may Mm. have been a little bit ahead of themselves, but, um, you know, we're figuring that out now.
3: Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I have to, we just have a couple of minutes left, Cooper, but I have to ask you on June 26th, uh, Osprey signed a letter of intent to acquire the past producing, I think it's a past producing mine, the Caribou okay. Gold Mine. Uh, what can you tell us about that prospect?
0: You know, Caribou is something, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief here, but Caribou's is a project that we're very excited about um, for a couple of reasons. You know, it's, just spatially, it's approximately 8 kilometers from uh, Atlantic Gold's Tukoi mill site there. Um, it hosts a historic resource of just under 100,000 ounces, and it produced about 100,000 ounces through its lifespan from 1862 to 1952. But So, critically, crucially, caribou has a significant amount of argillites mapped um, on the project there, which are host to that disseminated mineralization in at Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And then it has these large stockwork zones that have had Excellent grades over significant 10-plus meter widths, you know, 30-foot widths, where we could build, build tonnage and build gold uh, resources there, I think, in relatively short order. And if we were able to do that, then we're very, very close to, uh, to tukoi there, which would be an advantage for us and uh, reduces that barrier for what we would need to discover, I think, and put together for a resource.
3: Yeah, you, uh, you certainly have a very low market cap, uh, Cooper, and uh, that's attractive to me. I like to buy companies uh, that the markets haven't really come to understand yet, and it seems to me they certainly haven't focused on you very much, which I guess is one of the reasons uh, I'm happy to have you tell the story. Uh, to what extent does, are you going to need to raise any money? Do you have enough money to take you through this year's program so that maybe some good news can lift your stock before you have to raise some more money?
0: We do. You know, we've got we're currently funded through all of our planned exploration programs. And uh, so then I would hope that uh, then we'll have some certainly some exploration success with that. And, um, then you know, as for us, key it is critical to keep uh, make sure we keep that share count uh, low, uh, especially in the beginning of the company. And we're looking, you know, sitting next door to our neighbors, which are a two hundred and fifty million market cap company with mm-hmm. a there, and we're <laughs> sitting there at, uh, <laughs> sitting there, certainly the little fish in the pond. Um, but hopefully, that gives shareholders uh, a little bit more room for upside than it would with uh, potentially a larger company.
3: Yeah. Just one more thing: management owns some shares. Insiders. Sure.
0: Certainly management and the, kind of the founders of the company and insiders do hold a very significant portion of the company, um, yeah. and I think realistically, we've probably got, you know, a few million shares that are actually in the float and kind of trading yeah. out there. We've tried very hard to make sure that everyone who was in the story at the beginning here during this critical kind of first phase is in it for the for the long term, and uh, we'll back the company through the, in the future. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it, for, to figure it out.
3: Well, certainly with some good exploration results, you, one would think in a, with the gold price uh, at wind at our back, uh, we should, uh, you should have, uh, those people who are buying the shares at these levels should be, should be quite pleased going forward. No guarantees, of course, but it looks very good to me. That's why I own some. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Cooper, for being with us today and uh, look to keep up with you in the future.
0: Great, Jay. Thanks for the time. And I know, like you say, I'm I'm very happy to see the gold prices kind of working with us here uh, this month. And so we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure.
3: Thank you. Very good. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. James Turk is going to be with us and he's going to tell you how you can use gold money. Well, how you can use gold as money. So don't go away. We'll be back with James Turk.
2: Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017. By construction in Q1 2018, Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the US under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com.
3: From the boardroom to you,
2: Voice America Business Network.
1: Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a longtime friend, James Turk. Um, James grew up, like me, in the Buckeye State, um, but his horizons have spread globally from there. I mean, he's been around the world, and geez, he's worked in places like Thailand and the Philippines and Hong Kong and uh, uh, Abu Dhabi and places like that in the financial Arena. He worked for Chase Manhattan uh, in the, some of those places, uh, but more importantly, I know James not so much for his days in the uh, among the big money-centered banks, but sort of as a person who understands the game of the money-centered banks and understands how they're not always in the best interest of of the common folks. And uh, James understands gold. If uh, if his former colleagues don't, he certainly has been involved uh, with his with his whole life, with his adult life, most of it anyway, in trying to help people uh, pre- preserve their wealth by owning gold and, in fact, owns a patent or two uh, to use gold as money. So those are some of the things we want to talk to him about, and it's goldmoney.com is where you should go to learn more about James, about, well, about gold money, um, and, and some excellent free services that are there, a, a lot of good uh, economic content, market commentary there, um, that uh, that you can avail yourself to. Thanks for joining me today, James.
5: G- Jay, it's always great to be with you.
3: Always good to have you. And I understand that you're actually on our continent now, up there in New Hampshire. Your lovely a-, a state up there. Uh, I wish you were around here more often, but you've decided to leave America. Probably it it might be a good I- it might be a good idea for more of us to do that. I don't know. Um, I, I want to talk to you about gold money for sure. Uh, that's what I want you to talk to us about. In fact we've had roy sabog and other members of 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 your team up there on this show in the past and um it, it certainly seems like an exciting thing maybe before we get started with that could you talk a little bit about the patent that you that you have and how that plays into the services that gold money is providing now
5: yeah you know there are different types of gold currency there's gold coins there's gold certificates and then there's digital gold, which is what my patents were about. Um, you know, I applied for the patent J back in February of 1993. You know, long mm-hmm. before the possibilities of the internet were even considered. Got the patent approved in 1997. Other patents were also approved. So what we what we've done is we've created digital gold currency. And the advantage of it is that you're using gold as a form of currency, but instead of having the the coins um, wearing out from abrasion or possibly getting lost, the gold stays safe and secure in the vault, and you click a weight of gold from your account uh, to the payee's account. So the gold Mm -hmm. stays in the vault, uh, but it's being used as currency because it circulates from the payer to the payee. So it's a a unique uh, invention, and I think it's going to become increasingly important in the future um, as problems with national currencies become more apparent uh, because it is efficient and it is safe. The other thing of course that 's driving it is it's a it 's a process where you know people have moved from national currencies circulating digitally to now cryptocurrencies circulating digitally. Yeah. you know once gold comes back in favor and people understand the attributes and characteristics that gold has, I think digital gold currency will become more popular as well but I mean gold money continues to be popular not just as a, um, a payment mechanism but also as a a uh, place to store and save, you know, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. and we're currently uh, storing uh,
3: approximately two billion dollars uh, of customer assets. Wow, that's uh, that's very impressive. Well, you have this, uh, I guess, this payment system that allows. Are, are you are you seeing some corporations now start to use that, James, as a means? Of, I guess if there are two companies that do business together, if they both have accounts at. Um at gold money, they can just simply move that back and forth for payments, right?
5: Yes, that's right. The payments in gold money are free uh, compared to payments that you're making through the banking system or wire transfers. They're also instantaneous, global, 24-7. And we are doing more and more marketing in the corporate and business area, and I think that's likely to grow in the future. We've added a lot of services that they've asked for, like you can do payrolls now in gold, as an mm. example. Um, and you know, along with the... Um, uh, the Mastercard that uh, uh, gold money offers you know to individuals as well as to businesses uh, we expect more businesses will sign up in the future
3: yeah I'm using it have used it have tested it personally but frankly i I try to keep my gold right there and only use it when I have to and I haven't had to use it so um, so that's a that's a that's a very popular thing I guess it's it certainly works very well once you learn how to use it I you know, can uh, can take my prepaid MasterCard out of my pocket and buy whatever I want with it. Um, let me ask you then, uh, James, could you talk a little bit about your gold money? You went out and uh, and merged with Bitgold, and now Bitgold merged into gold money, so you're one entity, and more and more it seems as though there's a sort of cross-fertilization or cross-use uh, of of both, both elements of gold money. Uh, can you tell us how that's working? I mean, how, how what was the purpose of bringing both of those together? I guess you have the Bitgold as the payment mechanism, uh, and you guys have a big storage of gold. You, you've, over the years, have, have accumulated a lot of accounts, and I guess the average account's much larger, perhaps, than what Bitgold has.
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. The two companies were complementary to one another. So when I first met Roy Sabag um, just over two years ago, you know, we we both saw immediately that the advantages of bringing the two companies together, um, and it's now been just under two years, Jay, of bringing mm-hmm. the two companies together. And I must admit, um, merging companies is a lot of work, particularly oh, yeah. when you're talking global. You know, uh, BitGold had been based in Toronto; we were based in uh, in Europe, uh, and that sort of makes things more and more difficult. But we just announced a couple of weeks ago the the final little piece of the puzzle. Uh, and we're now um, operating um, you know, both the former services that Bitgold offered and what you know, Gold Money has always offered under one banner, which is the Gold Money banner. And uh, we, um, our main office is still shared between Toronto and uh, Jersey in the Channel Islands in Europe. We just mm-hmm. did purchase recently a uh, new building for ourselves in, uh, in the Channel Islands uh, right in downtown St. Helier, the capital of Jersey.
3: Hmm. Well, just tell me this, uh, James. If I were to own some gold in the old gold money account, are there some things I can do with that now that I couldn't do before this merger took place?
5: Yeah, you can make payments once again. It, because yeah. of the regulatory issues that were developing back in 2012, we had stopped the payments, which had been available since we'd launched back in 2001. And you know, a lot of a lot of people didn't like that, but it was something we had to do. What Bitgold brought to the table was a very um, comprehensive payment mechanism that enabled us to meet regulations, not only in uh, Canada, but throughout the Americas, South America, Europe... Uh, and even in Asia, we have payment capability now, so we've really become a global uh, force in online gold commerce
3: James, if um, y- you know, and I know a lot of people aren't focused on this, of course, is that gold retains its purchasing power over time. and uh, you know Roy Sabag and the team there at gold money have have, have well I, they've shown graphs and charts that show. You know how well even in even a strong U.S. dollar, quote unquote strong U.S. dollar over the past few years, uh, you did very well with gold, but especially well a lot of other countries did with uh, weaker currencies. Um, what if let's look at gold now? Of course, if you if you bought gold at 19, 1980 at eight hundred and fifty dollars, it took quite a few years to get. To get back to even and those people that bought gold as you know people are prone to buy more when the prices are rising instead of when they 're low at nineteen hundred dollars in two thousand and eleven you know we 're at eleven we 're at twelve hundred and forty something like that today it takes quite a while, but longer term, gold retains its purchasing power, so in my view, the thing to do is to if you have savings don 't keep it in currency for goodness sake especially when it 's paying you zero interest to, to put it away somewhere. Uh, just buy the gold and stock it away as as a as a savings. Is that the way you view gold? It's exactly the way I see it, Jay. You know, gold is money. It's it's not an investment.
5: And to give you an example, uh, you know, an ounce of gold said he buys a man's suit. An ounce of gold bought a Roman senator his toga back in Roman times. <laughs> um, so it, an ounce of gold didn't increase your wealth. All it did is preserve your wealth over that long period of time. And it's the same thing with For example, crude oil and a variety of other products, you preserve your purchasing power with gold, and that's one of the things that money is supposed to do. The other thing is you'd be able to use it as a form of currency, which we've also created now with gold money. So you really should see gold as as money, and you don't have to spend it. You can just save it and accumulate it. And the way I always recommend it, Jay, is every month set, set aside a little bit in your family budget and mm-hmm. purchase gold. This is one of the things you can do very easily with gold money, particularly now because what we've set up with banks in the United States is a mechanism through the uh, U.S. clearing uh, bank clearing system that you can say, I want to have $25 or $100 or $1,000 taken out of my uh, bank account every month on a certain day and used to purchase gold. The money is taken out of your account. It's sent to gold money with um, essentially no fee, and you're purchasing uh, gold or silver or platinum or palladium under a monthly savings plan.
3: Yeah, and the uh, the the, uh, the advantage of that, of course, is you're sort of dollar cost averaging if you have a certain time every month to do that. That way you're not caught by... You know, the emotions of buying gold and everybody else is buying it and it's going up like mad. That's, uh, you know, that's the human nature to, to do it that way. So it uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Well, James, if I were to, if you were to draw a line, let's say you were to plot the price of gold in U.S. dollars uh, from 1971 to the present time and draw a line through the average or through the mean of that, would we at this point with $1,140 be above or below the, that line?
5: Right, you mean at twelve hundred forty dollars? Uh, we'd yeah. be well below twelve forty. Yes. Yeah, we'd be well below that below that line, Jay, which means basically that you know gold is the at the moment is undervalued based on historical norms, and just like investments can become overvalued or undervalued, money can become overvalued or undervalued. And recently, we saw how the the dollar strengthened against the world's major currencies. The dollar index went up over 100. We're now down around 95.5 on the dollar index, meaning that the dollar is becoming less um, overvalued and the price of gold has been going up. Um, The low in December 15 um, was the low of the correction that began in 2011. The December 16 low in gold was above the December 15 low. And this last correction that we just had, and apparently have finished now, uh, is also above that december fifteen uh, sixteen low, so what we have is rising uh, prices we 're in mm-hmm. an uptrend, and my view is that a new bull market has begun and it 's begun because of you know what central banks are doing to the purchasing power of currencies world no, worldwide not just the dollar but worldwide because everything 's so interconnected these days
3: mm-hmm, for sure James, I have to just thought of this question I want to ask you uh, the gold money you had silver. Platinum and palladium, I believe, in addition to gold. Are you still offering those services? Are those storage in those? Okay. Okay, because BitGold Bitgold has been only about gold, but okay, very good. Yeah,
5: but and the other thing, Jay, is that with gold money, um, you get a choice of different countries and different vaulting companies Mm -hmm.
3: where you Mm want to store
5: your gold. You know, I always make the point that gold is the bedrock asset in your portfolio. And given the fact that the future is uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen, you don't want to take any risks with that bedrock asset. So one of the best ways to prepare for an uncertain future is to diversify as much as possible. So in gold money, we enable you to diversify not only in different metals, but also different geographic locations and you know different vaults, uh, which mm-hmm. means that you have a, a global di- opportunity to globally diversify your precious metals holding your bedrock asset
3: yeah because one never knows for sure, right? Um, I mean places like the united states canada the u k they certainly seem at the moment safe enough, but who knows uh life well, is
5: We have to remember that uh, gold was confiscated in the United States in the 1930s, but it wasn't confiscated yeah. by Americans who owned it outside the united states yeah uh, or
3: so you know you always have to plan for uh, uh, an uncertain future you certainly do um. This question has to do with the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, um, your friends and mine there. And, you know, they're, they've been making the case for a long time that the paper markets are obscuring the real, actual price discovery for gold. Do you buy that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You have to look at it as two different markets. You have a
5: market for paper gold, in other words, futures contracts, options, and various IOUs. And then you have a market for physical gold, and the two intersect, and they are related to a certain extent. But right now, we're in an abnormal situation in that at, in the front months, you know, in the near term, the um, people are paying more for a physical coin or physical weight of gold than they would be paying for a paperweight of gold. Uh, so it suggests that, again, gold is extremely undervalued at these prices and that ultimately gold is going to go higher to, because markets don't like undervaluation, undervaluation, they don't like overvaluation. We're seeing a switch now. The dollar is becoming weak, and I think gold is going to continue to become stronger as the dollar continues to weaken in the years ahead.
3: Yeah, I, um, you think that gold will remain or will continue to be stronger versus all currencies in spite of the fact that others, that some, like the euro, is gaining on the dollar? So people living in Europe might, might do well with gold as well, vis-a-vis the euro dollar. Or the yeah, Euro? really, because
5: you know they talk about floating currencies,
3: but all currencies are sinking relative to gold.
5: In other mm-hmm. words, gold preserves its purchasing power. What gold does, you can't really say any other currency does. And the other thing is that the other current, none of the currencies today pay you a fair rate of interest. So why would you even want to hold? money in a bank, because at the mm-hmm. end of the year, you're going to lose purchasing power because of inflation, depreci- depreciation of the currency, debasement of the currency by central bank actions. You know, gold is your means of protection to preserve your purchasing power, to preserve your wealth. And that's why i recommend that everybody should have a little bit of physical gold or silver uh, in their portfolio as a means of protecting against an uncertain future.
3: You know, James, for the longest time uh, here in America, we... You know, I thought many decades ago that as we start to live beyond our means that things would work out and gold would rise and the dollar would decline, uh, and it was just as simple as that, but it wasn't because there were, there were always these other foreign governments and countries, actually, that would have uh, excess dollars in their, in their banks uh, earned because they were export countries like Japan was and China more recently. And so those countries continued to provide the savings that we in America decided we didn't want to provide. We just lived high on the hog, so to speak, and we lived beyond our means for years, years on end. Now it's my understanding, if my numbers are correct, that in 2015, 2016, we saw an actual decrease in foreign holdings of U.S. Treasuries, uh, something like 12%, I saw. Meantime, we're seeing... The Social Security money that which which was used to uh, to buy treasuries is in decline now the amount available is in decline with the with um, with the, with the um, demographics being what they are, and with the work workers and salaries and so forth not anywhere near what they were before we saw the Q quantitative easing after two thousand and eight two thousand and nine supposedly that 's gone away but i 'm not sure that it has because there 's some mysterious source of u s treasury financing that 's coming into the picture. According to some numbers that I've seen they just the Treasury simply labels it as others other other sources and but it's like uh, a big chunk of the of the total amount of domestic uh, treasury buying uh, do you think this is sort of a handwriting on the wall picture because it seems to me there is especially with zero interest rates and What's going to happen in order – I mean, the dollar is at the heart of the empire, the Anglo-American empire, like to call it. If it doesn't have a strong dollar or a dollar that purchases anything, what's going to happen to the empire? And is there a possibility that we revisit 1980, James? I think you think it's not possible. But to defend the dollar, might it be that the bankers and the people that really want to make sure the system is preserved – that they might allow rates to rise that the more recent rate rises might have nothing to do with, ex- with, uh, with global growth or with American economic growth but more to do with defending the dollar they is that possible?
5: What, they, they can't do what Volcker did back in 1980 where they raised interest rates sky-high in order to defend the dollar the reason why they can't do it Jay is there's just too much debt in the system that's why central banks have forced interest rates down to zero it's to make governments look solvent. If interest rates were at some fair level, um, yes. just consider the U.S. as an example. You have $20 trillion in debt. If interest rates went up to 5% or 6% instead of the 0% that they effectively are now, you'd be talking about 800 to a $1 trillion more per annum The U.S. in expenses by the U.S. government. The U.S. government only makes or has revenue of about 3500000000000 trillion. They're not going to cut their expenditures in other areas to pay that interest expense. And what will happen is you just feed upon yourself. Higher interest, interest rates mean more borrowing. More borrowing means more interest expense, and that is ultimately leading to hyperinflation. Uh, the system that we have is unsustainable, Jeff, uh, uh, Jay, and that's why we need to um, uh, have some physical gold and silver as a means of protection. And hopefully what will happen is someday politicians will go back to the wisdom of the framers of the Constitution which created a sound monetary system and worked reasonably well for 170 years until Nixon abandoned it in 1971.
3: Yeah, it worked very well. In fact, we had a much more egalitarian, politically secure, um, say, uh, happy, I would say, populace on our hands, too, because there was a middle class, and it certainly seems to me, you know, you have all these socialist politicians that want to tax the rich, as a means of redistributing wealth, they don't even seem to think and understand there's a connection between honest money and, uh, and fair markets and, and people actually earning, uh, becoming wealthy on the basis of what they earn and what they produce, right?
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's pretty sad. But you know, hopefully we'll learn by reading history uh, and understanding what the Constitution was and how it worked so well for so long, uh, or we're going to go over the edge of a cliff. It's, co- it's as, I think, stark as that. And we as individuals cannot rely on you know the central bank. We can't rely on the government to make the right decisions. We ourselves have to make the right decisions, and that begins by you know going back to basics. And one of the most basic things throughout history, you know, gold and silver have been money for five thousand years. What we're using now as so-called money has only been an experiment forty years. It pales in comparison, and given all the problems that we have today um, worldwide, not just the United States. It's well, just that this, this problem is, 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 is not getting any better. It's getting worse. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I just hope that uh, more and more people understand the connection between an unsound monetary system and all of the other ills that we're seeing uh really sort of explode on the scene right now we're james we're out of time it goes so fast with you as always thanks so much for being with us and it's goldmoney.com folks go to goldmoney.com i'll have other people alistair mcleod and other people roy sabog from gold money on here from time to time but it was a really pleasure talking to you today james and i hope we can do it again sometime in the not too distant future yeah i'd like to do that jay thanks a lot all right very good well okay folks next week richard mayberry i'm going to be uh, talking to richard mayberry um And uh, John Kaiser, actually, is going to come and talk to us about what I think is the greatest exploration story that I've ever seen, or at least potentially, and that's Noble Resources. So I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel.